0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. My name's Julian Carl, and uh, in this episode, I speak with Warwick Summer. And Warwick is the chief operating officer of a company called Amp Control, And I think you'll find this episode particularly interesting because Warwick touches base on a number of things. First of all, he talks about a framework and model, which personally I haven't heard before, the Cantor model which I think that if you go and have a look at it and go and research it, you might find some real value there because it's all about structural dynamics. I think one of the other things that's interesting about Warwick's journey and uh, what he shares during the podcast is the fact that he's gone from an engineering role into a commercial uh, legal role and is now into a more generalist management role. So there's quite a diverse background to Warwick, which I think makes the interview particularly interesting. So have a listen and once again, I'm gonna ask you to head over to iTunes or Stitcher and please do leave a review. We are really looking forward to trying to share the the podcast interviews that we're doing. So happy listening, and we'd love to hear what you think. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Well, welcome, Warwick, to the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to be a part of it. And so that the listeners have some context, are you able to share a little bit about the position you hold now and the company where you work? Yeah, thanks,
1: Julian. Really appreciate the opportunity to be involved in the podcast. Uh, My current role is Chief Operating Officer at Amp Amp Controls, uh, one of the biggest, if not the largest, privately owned electrical engineering company in Australia. We operate out of 15 sites in Australia, as well as uh, international operations in locations, including Botswana, Hong Kong, Singapore, Mongolia, the United Kingdom and other places. And we operate across multiple uh, market sectors, primarily mining in a range of contexts from underground coal, above ground, hard rock. But we also operate through power utilities and industry and the renewable space. The size of the business in terms of people uh, on the back of a very recent acquisition is approximately 800 and we turn over in excess of $200 million. So quite a large Australian based organisation.
0: Okay, fantastic. Do you think there is an interesting fact that the listeners might not know about amp control?
1: I don't know so much about an interesting fact but uh, we've only recently turned 50. So for many organisations, when you get into its 50th anniversary is quite a milestone. So we actually still have one of the founders as a director of our business and for him to see where the idea that he and three of his mates had in uh, 50 years ago, 1968, turn into the type of organisation that it is, is, is quite astonishing, probably only surpassed by our UK business, which is turning 100 years old in uh, June. So quite amazing milestones and seeing some people in the business with really long um, periods of service is I think a testament to how strong the business is and how great the people are.
0: And are you doing anything special to, to celebrate your 50
1: year birthday? Yes, we are. We're doing, uh, we just had a launch last week of the, the ceremony, if you like, or the official 50th birthday itself. And then we're doing a range of things both here and overseas to take that celebration to uh, our main uh, work sites. So, family days, uh, information going out by the normal comms channels, and also key senior execs going out to things like the family open days to, to connect more with our people and their, their families. So, it's a really great program to get us connected with our people.
0: So I'd like to take you back to the very beginning of your leadership journey. What was the very first leadership role that you had? Are you able to give us a little bit of context around that? Yeah, I have thought about
1: this. Uh, One of my very first leadership roles uh, was almost immediately after finishing my engineering degree. And the company I was working for at the time was a very traditional manufacturer of automotive switches and automotive lamps. And the company knew that to maintain its competitiveness in manufacturing in Australia, and for that matter to meet its contractual obligations, it had to deliver cost down year on year. So one of my first roles uh, as a leader in a business was going to a very traditional uh, assembly line and then asking them to change the way that they manufactured to an entirely foreign way of doing it. So instead of being traditional mainstream Australian manufacturing, we actually wanted to introduce the Toyota production system into the workplace. And As a young engineer being asked to implement a change, which for many people was as fundamental as no longer sitting down to do their work, standing up and moving around, or being asked to do a range of things almost diametrically opposed to what they had been doing the previous day, was a real test in my ability to help them manage change help them understand the importance of their role in this new way of doing things and being able to support them to get to where we needed to to ultimately have a very successful pilot that rolled out then across the business.
0: And during that change uh, process, were there any great mistakes or memorable mistakes that you made? Um,
1: Not so many mistakes. I think uh, it was... A series of learnings looking back around the need to take people on the journey and explain to them the importance of why the change had come and would sustain going forward. There were certainly times when I probably approached things in less than an ideal fashion, you know, too abruptly. It was obvious to me, maybe not so much to them, so why didn't it just get done? Things like that that I guess in time you learn and grow in your experience in how to help people come to the point and adopt the change that you need so it was really the start of that process of working out how i could get the best out of people by getting them to cooperate as opposed to something out of them by me just telling them what i wanted done
0: and were there any sort of really big learnings from undertaking that role
1: Uh, i think It's interesting that probably the most important thing is is almost a throwaway line that one of the people that had trained me in Toyota production, he he said that when you start doing these sorts of things, it literally is the difference between looking and seeing, listening and hearing. So things like that sound like very sort of cheesy throwaway lines. But I guess as you develop more experience uh, in work and outside of it, gaining insights, becoming better at what you're doing, And being able to reflect on those things and what you might need to do to change, let alone others, is really that transformational position. So seeing what the outcome is and helping people see it as opposed to just looking and thinking, yeah, I get it or I don't. So stuff like that, that I guess has started as a seed many years ago and I guess stuck with me and grown over the time that I've been managing things.
0: Okay, and was there a particular reason why they decided to go down that pathway of the, the, the Toyota process?
1: It was very much cost-driven. I don't think we could sugarcoat it any other way. Um, the business needed to work out how to do things more efficiently and the, the savings, while I can't quote the statistics anymore, it's too long ago, the savings were real. And when people started to do things in a different way, it actually changed the level of satisfaction that they had Prior to that, they had a very, very sort of sedentary way of making these particular products and through the changing in what we delivered around workflow and work process, people were actually physically more engaged in the work that they did, produced less uh, quality issues in the products that they completed and I think ultimately enjoyed it more. So there was a stack of net savings and I don't think there were too many negatives out of it either.
0: Was it during this role or at some point after that you decided this whole idea of leadership was for you?
1: Uh, certainly after that. So um, that first role straight out of uni was the start of my management path, I suppose. But between that point and when I thought that leadership and, and managing really was what I wanted to do, there was a fair bit of time between those two points. So from my perspective, uh, I can doing industrial engineering for about another five or six years, during which time I decided to actually go to university and study law. And I did that uh, mainly because partway through uh, an MBA, I'd studied an initial law subject and thought, yeah, this is really interesting. I think I could really do this. So my wife backed me. Off I went to uni, became a commercial lawyer, learned a stack of stuff around commercial and uh, intellectual property law. And through that process, ended up going into the maritime industry. So it was at that point, once I'd gone into maritime and been exposed to a couple of broader aspects of running a business and being involved in that, that I thought, you know, this is where I would like to be. I'd like to continue my career in, in whatever level of management was relevant as I progressed forward. So some years uh, between the very first role and I guess that realisation, but really important water passed under the bridge uh, over that time.
0: Uh, I imagine there wouldn't be many uh, people floating around that have made that shift between uh, engineering into to commercial law. Was there was there anything else behind that that just apart from doing that little bit of study, which made you think, oh wow, was there anything more?
1: Uh, not so much. I just became quite, I guess, well not I wouldn't say infatuated. That'd be too strong. But I thought this is a really interesting way to apply, I guess, the way I think, uh, a level of logical thinking and. I had, I thought, an opportunity to cross over the technical side of engineering into the way you protect the things you do and most likely invent through intellectual property protection. So I actually thought there was an ideal crossover there and it turned out there certainly was and I spent quite a bit of the time as a commercial lawyer focusing on copyright protection and trademarks. So I ended up, by the time I went from leaving law into uh, effectively an in-house lawyer's um, role, I'd ended up with a tool bag that included a stack of technical understandings or ways to look at things technically, then linked with um, some commercial frameworks and and a way to understand uh, balancing of risk, whether it be legal risk or commercial risk. So at that point in time, I, I was that I had quite a, um, a diverse sort of tool bag of, of things that I could apply to the work that I was doing.
0: So you had your first taste of leadership within the sort of engineering space. What would you say was your, your biggest move in terms of taking on a, a significant leadership role after that?
1: That's a really easy one. In 2009, uh, I was working for the Patrick organisation in the general stevedoring business. And at that point in time, for nine months, I held the position of regional manager and managed one very large account that we had, which was for Blue Scope Steel. So my responsibility was to manage the stevedore and contract Port Kembla, as well as Western Port in Victoria. And that was going along swimmingly, really enjoying the work I was doing at the time, good engagement with the customer. We'd won some contract extensions. So for the company, the outcomes were looking really good too. And uh, I got a call from my boss, the then Divisional Director, just pop into the office, I want to have a chat. And at the end of that meeting, I'd accepted the role as General Manager Operations. So that was a massive step up from having responsibility for a fair size individual contract across two sites and two states, to then having 1,400 people, 21 sites around Australia, a couple of hundred million dollars turnover, and an industrial environment that uh, I don't think many people would have been exposed to in their, uh, in their career. So that was a massive step up and a massive pivot point for me in my um, management career. And
0: do you think you found it easier to take on that role because you had a taste of leadership earlier?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I do. Um, There's no doubt that in progressing through your career, if you're not utilizing the experiences you've had at each juncture, then you're missing those opportunities to, to learn and grow. In hindsight, I was probably a bit undercooked when I took on the role and uh, would certainly have liked some more support and, and maybe mentoring to help me perform better. And I think getting a little bit more mature in your professional experience, you will always be able to look back and say, I could have done this a bit better. I could have you know changed that to, to whatever end. So, yeah, hindsight, maybe I was a bit undercooked. Do I regret... Taking that step, no. Am I thankful that the divisional director backed me to do it? Absolutely. It was just really hard work.
0: And were there any significant successes which stand out for you when you were uh, in that role? Uh,
1: I think the the overarching commercial outcomes were reasonably good. The markets that we were operating in at the time were quite difficult, both from a geography perspective and then also the market sectors that we operated across it was tough times, uh, I closed three businesses because we just couldn't sustain there. So that's um, not very much fun to do, but good experience. And uh, it's something I suppose that some people will do in their career. Uh, so I think that the most important part in the success was minimising the impact of what was going on in terms of tough market conditions and uh, keeping our numbers largely on plan, excluding those business units that had to close. Um, maintaining a a good level of engagement in the business and customer relationships as well so it was just one of those points in the business cycle where you'd love for things to be fantastic but they weren't it was just tough going
0: and I'm always curious about uh, what leaders learn from particular roles that they uh, are doing what would you say would be one of the biggest learnings you took from that particular role?
1: I think there's a couple of things. Uh, to be successful in any role, you need good people around you. Uh, you also need to be very open to testing what people tell you and testing whether that's complete and correct in all its dimensions. In some ways, I didn't have the, the best people around me in hindsight. That's ultimately my, uh, my responsibility um, for choosing who's the right people to have on the team. And, um, and testing things at times too further uh, would have been or more successful in respect of some of the things that occurred over time. There was elements of that role that uh, were just amazing uh, development experience, particularly around the way you interact with people, uh, whether it be just on a one-to-one normal work context or in a very, very heated industrial environment. So Lots of good learnings um, and also a lot of reflection to say that, you know, yeah, I could do lots of things differently and having my time over again, I certainly would. And why did you decide to leave that role? I left that role really simply. I I was travelling an extraordinary amount. Over the three years I was in that role, I was away most weeks, three to five days. I had a young family at the time and I literally got to a point um, of deciding I either. Maintained that work rhythm to the cost of my family, or I needed to make a change, and uh, I put family first and made a change. So that's exactly why I left.
0: It, it does seem to be a, uh, a common theme when people are getting to senior levels of role that they eventually have to come to some point about the travel versus the family, isn't it?
1: It, it was um, when I left, I had 17 sites around the country, and that was everywhere from. Geelong to, uh, to Dampier, from Albany up to Townsville. So the travel that I was doing was, was relentless and sprinkled across the top of that was some international travel from time to time as well. So yeah, it's a really difficult balance and um, I think the way that many businesses have globalised or simply the way that they connect now so that you're really never off the clock Travel and the ongoing impacts of work versus life it can be really difficult to manage sometimes.
0: Yeah. All right, so I'd like to, to, to fast forward to, to your current role now. You've had some experience of taking your leadership skills not only from different companies but whole different industry sectors. Did you do anything differently when you decided to take on this current role?
1: So the role that I'm in now, I've only been in for just over a month, almost six weeks. I've been back at Amp Control for almost a year to give some context. After completing my first role with the automotive manufacturer when I was an industrial engineer, not long after that, I started Amp Control. This is in about 1996, I think, and worked for five years for this company as an operations manager for one of its divisions and left that role to go to be a commercial lawyer. So coming back is is very much full circle for me. Since I've been back here, I've taken on a strategy and integration role where I've brought in a new company we acquired into the group. I've also um, had three and a half months as acting general manager of the capital technology solutions business, which then rolled into, by uh, another, restructure the chief operating officer role. So I've actually done a couple of things over nine months, uh, which has allowed me to really get a great sense of what the landscape is. I have AMP control now, the challenges, the things that are going well. And I think the thing that's um, different for me to your point a moment ago, has only been in this, to this point in my career that I've really been able to think uh, long and hard about the sort of organisation I want to work for, understanding its values, testing where I could actually work within that organisation and be aligned with its values, And I was very happy to say that I could tick the boxes and uh, was very happy to come and join. And it's amazing to see where the business and its leaders have taken it over the 17 years that I haven't been here. So it's been quite an amazing opportunity to come back in. And for me, even more so, given our main uh, corporate office is just north of Newcastle. So I'm not needing to travel all over the place to come to work on a day-to-day basis.
0: You mentioned an interesting point there, which I I wouldn't mind exploring a little bit. One of the things I've uh, noticed and learned as I've been doing various podcast interviews is that leaders are becoming more focused on values and purpose and, and really wanting to be a part of the organisation beyond just being a role. Do you think that has come about because you've had lots of experience? Do you think that's an, an age thing? Do you think that's a... A sign of the times? What do you think that might be?
1: I think it's probably a combination of lots of things, Julian. But most of all, I think when you start to really make the values that your organisation has and aspires to, it really has, I think, most to do with things that resonate with people that work in the business. So can they actually subscribe to those values well as well? Also, broader stakeholders that include whether they be directors, regulators, customers, the others in and around your work environment, whether they can also uh, like acknowledge and, and to a degree coexist or subscribe to the values as well. So I think if you frame things in a truly people context, if you don't have fundamental values that help you decide whether you will or won't do things, you make all manner of decisions that just leave quite a lot of uh, devastation in the path. So, yeah, I think um, it's a combination of experience, combination of age. I think all good leaders need to reflect, so there's that as well. And if you get it right, the values really resonate with your people and those broader stakeholders.
0: So I wouldn't mind exploring some of your more general views on leadership now that we've got a good sense of your background and some of the the industries that you've worked in, Uh, what do you think the biggest myth is that you've come across when it comes to leadership?
1: I think the biggest myth would be that good leaders have to be tough or hard or dictatorial in some way. Uh, I'd say that's not the case at all. The best leaders that I've seen have been almost the opposite of that. And by that, I mean, they've been very, quick to engage with people, being very clear on the sorts of results that they need and also supportive if you don't quite get there but have worked hard to get to the point you have. So you don't need to be an ogre to be a good leader and I'd argue that there would be very few ogres that are anywhere near good leaders. So, yeah, you need to get that balance right and I think clarity of purpose, role, responsibility, accountability... All of those things help people to understand, you know, what is the ballpark they're playing on and what's their role in the team.
0: If I had to ask you to come up with any words about how you describe yourself as a leader, what do you think those words might be?
1: Oh, this is always a really interesting question. Uh, I would hope balanced, fair, uh, clear, clear of purpose, clear of task, and responsive. So I I do make a real um, effort to to keep people up to date if. If I've said that I would get back to them, action something, let people know where things are at, and then I expect them to do the same for me. So I think what I try to be is uh, the kind of person and leader that if I was sitting in their shoes, I'd be happy to interact with.
0: I suppose it's a, it's a reflection of the industry I work in in terms that I, I work with businesses and we, we train them in leadership. I'm always curious uh, if there's any particular methodologies or frameworks or tools that leaders use. Is there anything that you've come across which you really resonate with?
1: There is actually. Um, in the last couple of years, I was exposed to a model of, it's, it's an interesting model because it's not just about leadership, it deals with dialogue. So how people talk and the value of conversations that are held. And then also helps you understand ways in which people interact to get the best out of uh, work situations in particular. So that, that model and the research behind it was conducted by a guy called David Cantor. And if anyone's interested in learning a bit more about it, they'll be able to look online. His surname spelt K-A-N-T-O-R. And he's written a fantastic book called Reading the Room, which goes through not just the model, but provides a, a long running sort of an extended example of how that's applied in a corporate context. I was lucky enough to be exposed to uh, the Cantor model and its related, I guess, ways of doing things um, when I was at Asiana, And it was transformational, both of the business and the people that were exposed to it. So... I've got a sense that there must be something in this if people are so keen to adopt it and it's so sticky in terms of its, its impact and ongoing life in the business.
0: Do you know why that you really resonated with that particular model versus all the others out there?
1: I think it was because the mentor model has a number of levels, if you like. So one of the first one is a model called the four-player model and that's some of the basics around dialogue we found that as a lead team, not only did we pick it up and start using it immediately, as in within minutes, but also the next level of leadership were just as quick to adopt it and then it was sustaining. So it didn't just go away once we'd left the meeting or the conference or, you know, a month or a week or whatever later. It was really sticky to the point where I know it's being used by people now, um, some probably two years later. It's the stickiness and the effectiveness combined that I've never seen anything else like it.
0: So, if you would have to say that uh, thinking ahead that you've got any challenges coming up, what do you think your biggest leadership challenge is?
1: I think the biggest leadership challenge is showing people how to, this sounds so corny, but how to be better leaders. In uh, our organisation, we have a really, really deep knowledge in certain markets, but we don't necessarily have broad experience across many sectors. So my greatest challenge with my new team of of leaders is to be really clear on the standards of behaviour, the measures of, of success and how we actually need to lift individually to step into our bigger roles and take the business forward. So it's going to be a combination of being directive when necessary, but also mentoring and showing people by example or otherwise how they can lift as a person to become a better leader. And all of those sorts of things are really easy to say, but quite difficult to actually land. So we'll have some challenges in people recognising where their shortcomings are as leaders, and provided they're willing, we can take a journey to to improve. But like anything, you've got to be prepared to understand that you may not be the best at, you know, what you're doing as a leader to then think about how you can change and lift. So, yeah, my role is going to be helping people become better leaders.
0: Are you planning to, to roll out the Cantor model across AMP control? Is that something that you have thought of?
1: Certainly thought about it. Um, the Cantor model ties in nicely with some other stuff that I've done with an organisation on strategy and the effect- effectiveness of delivering strategic goals. So there's elements of both of those things that I think would be great for the business. We just need to think about that tenuous balance that everybody strikes with lots on the dance card and other aspects of the change agenda to be run out. There's only so much that we can do at any one time. So I think part of the cancel model can be rolled out just as an example of, say, improving dialogue. Other things or deeper aspects of that or strategy will need to come over the the coming months and and probably next year or two I think so I guess an important lesson is just don't you know
0: bite off more than you can chew if I had to ask you about yourself how do you measure your success as a leader personally
1: Uh, a couple of ways I'm always very open to understand from my colleagues or others how I'm being perceived in particular if if I'm doing something and think that I'm going along very well and, and, and managing what I need to, but the feedback through others is I'm, I'm off point, it's important for me then to, to understand that. Um, some of the best ways of assessing my performance have been through common tools like 360-degree uh, feedback surveys and things like that where people are more likely to, to be a bit more open about how you're going. So, yeah, very very keen to understand through others.
0: Always interested to know as well how senior leaders look to build capability within the people that report directly to them. How do you do that?
1: One of the most important things that I'm seeing now is, and it sounds a bit cliche, but a lot of recruiters are talking about getting the right mix of almost values or attitude over technical skill. I think there's a lot of truth, though, in, in understanding who you've got in your team that, that may have either untapped potential or who may be able to be guided to lift or improve or do things bigger or, or more important than they're doing now. The way that I test that or, or sense where those capabilities might be, if they're not evident, is really just the interactions, You know, seeing how people uh, respond when they're asked to do things, see the quality of what comes back, whether they're inquisitive, all of those sorts of things around testing a person's motivation to, to not only do what's required, but maybe tap into that discretional effort and show that they're really keen to move to something else. It's, it's really just a, an instance-by-instance instance assessment.
0: I'm always also interested to know in terms of how leaders approach networking. Have you got a particular approach that you use when you're out networking? And, and importantly, have you noticed a change in the need to network as you've gone through different levels of business?
1: I'll probably answer the second part of that first. I think the need to network is really self-evident and I've found over the last few years in particular, some of those networks that you create, whether they be through business development activities or through uh, existing and past colleagues uh, that you've worked with, getting those and maintaining those networks really can help you in a range of ways you probably never quite expected, everything from tapping into if you're looking for another opportunity outside of what you're doing, or even just thinking about chasing something down, not having a particular idea how to land it, but calling someone you know from your network. They may know someone who knows someone, etc., and you can get closer to where you're trying to get to. So there's a lot of value in it. I certainly believe that. The actual mode or method of networking, I've got to be honest, I don't really love it. Some people walk into a room and it's like they're given oxygen you know, in the networking context. I much prefer to do it when it's a little bit more directed or more specific around an opportunity or a group of people. Just the general networking type functions and the rest aren't necessarily my forte and it's something that I need to keep working on as I get more senior to make sure that I'm connecting with the right levels and if I need some support to become a better networker, something I've got to work on myself.
0: Have you had any experience with mentoring at all? I certainly
1: have. I uh, was lucky enough to participate in an executive development program uh, when I was at We had a couple of coaches involved uh, with that group of people, and um, it was sensational the insights that that they were able to derive and, and I guess allow myself and others to look for ways to improve and lift and really test maybe some of your assumptions or the way you're going to approach something that was really really meaningful for me and um, I'd love to be engaged again with another mentor and and might take some steps this year to to get that underway
0: okay Um, just delving a little deeper there what from your perspective what made those those particular individuals very good at what they did in the mentor role was what stood out for you
1: uh, the, the two in particular that I thought were outstanding, uh, they actually had backgrounds in organisational psychology. And I thought at the time that oh, this should be interesting, you know, who knows where this might go. But because they were sincere and genuine in what they were trying to do, which was take me through a series of insights and become a better person and a better leader, it showed me that um, the skills they had could help really take away barriers from what we were doing. If some of the things that we we talked through or some of the areas of focus were run through with someone without that background and maybe just somebody from a purely commercial background, I don't know whether my learnings would have been as deep. I'm not suggesting that everybody hunt out a mentor that has that type of background, but for me at that point in my career, looking at the things that were in front of us as an organisation and me as a leader at the time, they were absolutely spot on. So the alignment was perfect. And going forward, I don't know whether I necessarily need the same mentor profile, but it was great to know that uh, something that maybe I was a bit sceptical about actually proved to be the opposite and it was fantastic for me.
0: It's always a powerful learning, isn't it, when you, you walk into a situation thinking, oh, yeah, not quite sure about this, and then you meet someone and they just completely shift your perspective.
1: Yes, one of them I would say was pretty much like Yoda, and uh, his insights were like a laser beam and um i just thought well it was fantastic for me to have met somebody like that in my professional career so um yeah i was just very fortunate
0: so i'd like to shift gear a little bit to what the future holds and uh are there any specific career goals that you're focused on at the moment where are you looking to go
1: Uh, For me at the moment, um, there's a a really uh, broad and exciting set of opportunities here at Amp Control. We're a large organisation that really has opportunity to to expand quite rapidly here and overseas. So my goals at the moment are around getting the the team that report to me to lift and for us to move forward and either hit our strategic goals or through a decision-making process and some clear dialogue pivot or change if things aren't working right. But being agile, being focused around customer and delivering against our promises is quite an amazing sort of palette of opportunity in front of me now. Beyond that, I've got a one small area of study. I'd like to complete one of the AICD director's courses. I certainly don't have a great hankering to go and do any more tertiary study. I've done plenty of that. But I think that would be a great adjunct to me to make sure that I'm aware of if I'm in a directorial role or otherwise supporting one of our directors, just aware of some of the rights, obligations, challenges, et cetera, uh, that they need to, to balance all the time. So I'm lucky I've got an, an enormous amount of opportunity and challenge in front of me now and really looking forward to you know, in the next 12 months and beyond in the new role.
0: And talking about the the next 12 months, are there any specific tangible goals that you're really looking to hit?
1: Yeah, we need to really step up our safety performance. So we need to halve our existing lag metrics, if we can, over the next 12 months. I think that won't be an overcommitment. We just need to make sure that people understand more clearly how they can contribute to improve safety performance. Um, Some uh, work in the business improvement or continuous improvement space. So there's a lot of things around uh, fine-tuning how the business works and making sure that people are, are focused on good outcomes, whether they be safety, whether they be a process or whether it's around customer. So, yeah, lots of good things to do.
0: And thinking about your industry sector for a moment, do you think there's any specific challenges your industry might face in the coming 12, 24, 36 months?
1: Our traditional market for ant control is in mining and in particular underground coal mining. The market has just come off the back of a massive adjustment, a negative adjustment when the resource boom ended we're now starting to see parts of our market um, maybe free up and there's much more positivity in the way people are talking amongst the markets and and the way that customers are dealing with uh, whether they be spending decisions or otherwise. I think the challenge for our business and for the mining sector is not getting caught in the hype, not uh, expanding too quickly and not being faced with another huge cliff to fall off when you reach that unsustainable point that we saw a few years ago. So it's uh, sensible growth. It's very uh, careful decision-making around arrangements, but at the same time, if there's a great opportunity out there, being agile enough to jump on it. So we will deal with other things too around uh, changes in government policy, whether that be a reduction in um, coal-fired power, uh, things like that could have an impact on, on where the broader industry goes and we just got to make sure that we're making good decisions along the way.
0: So you mentioned uh, just, just throughout the conversation a couple of times the word agile. Is that something that you're deliberately wanting the business to be able to maintain, that ability to be agile in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think agile's a little cliched for this point in time. I think Businesses need to constantly be asking some simple questions. What are we doing? Is it working? If it's not, what do we need to change? Another really simple way of looking at it is you can't change and stay the same. So agility is really that reflection and the the ability to recognise maybe something is or isn't working well and if it's not changing. Dress it up any other way you want. There's other cliches like pivot or whatever you'd like to say. I think all businesses need to be really agile, particularly in the face of um, digital disruption or other forms of disruption, which is really just change in another name. So yeah, agility, I think, is the embodiment of assessment of whether things are working or not. And if they aren't changing so that you're not going backwards, to me, every business needs to be agile if, if that's what agile means.
0: So as we, as we get close to the end, are there any leaders that you either look up to or that inspire you in some way?
1: I, th- I thought about this earlier on and I must say there was uh, a leader that I met many years ago who came into a business I was working in and the business was in uh, quite a, a state of turmoil. It was then a family-owned business with uh, the father had retired. He was the founder. He passed the business on to his two sons. The business was heavily reliant on these two sons to run it going forward. And uh, to our great surprise, uh, it was found out that both of those sons were uh, not necessarily discharging their duties to the company honourably. So this guy had to come in, step into the middle of a really, really turbulent space. And it was seeing how he delivered stability, he delivered the promise and the dream of growth as well as supporting people through this turbulent time, um, that made me and makes me still reflect and think, yep, he was a fantastic leader. And I was lucky to see how he stepped in and took control of the business. I dare say there would be very few people that worked in that company at the time that wouldn't have the same view. He really just was one of those rare personalities that you don't meet very often and uh, fantastic what he did.
0: Have you stayed in touch with this person at all or...?
1: I haven't. It's been many years ago, many years since that was the case, and uh, I probably should have stayed in touch. He maybe would have been a fantastic mentor for me, but no, unfortunately, I haven't, and I dare say that uh, he would be well past retirement now at best.
0: So, where can uh, people find out more about you and AMP Control? So, for AMP Control, you can go to our website,
1: www.ampcontrolgroup.com. Uh, for me, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. And, um, yeah, be more than happy to interact with people if they want to know a little bit more about my story, how I got here, whether there's anything that I've said that resonates with people. Um, yeah, more than happy to do that via you as well, Julian.
0: Any last words on leadership work?
1: My, my greatest learning around leadership is really taking time to reflect. I think someone said to me not that long ago that great leaders take the time to reflect often. I think that's right and it's to my point just a moment ago, the reflection is what are we doing about this particular issue or in this space or with these people or with this problem? Is it working? No. Then we have to change something. And that ability to accept that you need to change and you don't have all the answers and maybe recruit more people to help you solve it, that's what I think uh, not only allows you to be a better leader but engage your people to to help solve things uh, and, and be part of that ownership of the outcome.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much Warwick for being part of the podcast. All the best and uh, let's speak soon.
1: Thank you very much, Julian. Really appreciate the opportunity and good luck with the podcast going forward.
0: Up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things if you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, Julian at synergengroup.com.au. Uh, see you next time.